in chronological order. And so we've looked at the things that Jesus said on the cross. He was there six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on the cross, and he said seven things. And we looked at about kind of like his personality in, in the midst of suffering, uh, crucifixion. He had such to say. So we saw who he was, and then now we're going to see kind of what his death accomplished through the actions that are associated with the death, all the events around it, the miracles. And so we're going to hear a really amazing one tonight that truly connected to me as I'm studying it this week in a, in a, in a very good way God spoke to me. And I, wanted to, I want you to read with me on your handout, from the back of your handout, um, right over here, where it says, Welcome to RUF. Matthew 27. 50 to 57, 50 to 51. And we're going to call it Jesus' death opens the end zone. Okay? Uh, so hear with me the word of God. Football analogy for post-OU weekend. OU Texas weekend. Hear the word. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless our time. Um, Gracious God, you have uh, been at work. Uh, we've heard how you've been at work in um, the life of our friend Darby uh, and with her sister. And we know that you're, you're working in the past and the present, and you'll be working in the future with her and, and showing her and, and being patient with her and being uh, with them. And would you be with us tonight in a special way? Uh, as we have heard your word, as we um, expound it and look at it, would you... Uh, bless us with uh, wonderful things, beautiful things that we would cherish up in our hearts and that we'd walk away changed from it. Uh, would, you, would you move us to more devotion tonight? Would we, would we look to you, Jesus, as the fountain uh, which springs up from you life? Uh, and Lord, would we, we find you uh, near to us tonight, uh, though, though we might have walked in here feeling very far from you, uh, very disappointed in ourselves, very ashamed very um, apathetic even. Uh, wherever we are tonight, I pray that you would meet us there and teach us uh, by your Spirit how to understand these words of, of you ripping the curtain from top to bottom. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I always get curious about things behind curtains and doors, uh, and I want to open up doors I can't get into, and I want access to things. Uh, and I know you... Feel the same way. I know everyone feels the exact same way I do. I always want to get into things I'm forbidden to get into. Um, uh, that's just that's how it happens. If there's a thing uh, that comes to your house in the mail that says to the parents of your name, then you want to know what's in there. You don't want to. You don't want to, that, any secrets from you. And so, when you go to state, when I go to a play or anything like that, welcome. Uh, we're going to play. Um, I want to know uh, what the actors are doing behind the stage, backstage. I don't know what's going on back there. Uh, I'll read, read books and, and, and you know, magazines, shows, go to the internet, and try to find out things that are about access to what's happening behind the scenes. We're obsessed with getting to getting know that. We don't see it. Um, there's a guy who directed the Titanic. You might know this movie. Uh, it's, uh, it's a well-known film, of course, um, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Now, the guy who... Um, directed that, James Cameron, spent a fortune, he has tons of, you know, tons of money, plenty of money, uh, he went down to the Mariana 
trench, right? Do you know where that is? Okay, very deep, right, in the ocean. Uh, it's one of the deepest places we could ever get to. Um, there's only three people who've ever been there in the history of mankind. That's a pretty big deal. He wanted to be one. There's only two living who've been to this place. Uh, so he, he you, know, you know, paid a lot of money, got an got a, you know, expedition, went down to the Mariana Trench. What did he find there? Water. <laughs> I mean, it's the bottom of the ocean. Um, I'm sure he found out many things, but he went on a journey because he desired to go deeper, to see what is behind the curtain, and we all want to go behind the curtain. Um, we have a need for friendship. We want to know people. We want to be known. Uh, we want people to, to tell us who we are in our hearts. And I believe that's the primary, like I said, the primary benefit of friendship is we get to know ourselves through our relationships. We are not made to relate alone. We need other people. Uh, there's, a, there's a website I, I frequent uh, that had an article recently. It talked about the, um, the people that every guy has in his college crew. Uh, and everyone, every ha- guy has these people, and you can adjust it for girls too. Uh, you have your right-hand man, the right-hand man, somebody who's with you no matter what. Uh, you've bonded with this person maybe when you got here at college, and they're with you. They're always there. Uh, that person may lead you into trouble, though, so you've got the stable person in your life, somebody who can bail you out when you get in trouble, stable person. Then you have kind of the crazy guy uh, in, your, in your group. There's always a crazy friend. Um, then you have Mr. No-Show. Uh, they're not here. They're, they just kind of miss, miss out on everything. Like they're, you, don't, you don't know where they are. You don't really know them. Uh, then you've got the funny, kind of gregarious person, okay? Uh, maybe, you know, they're just big personality person. And you've got sneaky good guy, okay? Like whenever you're playing sports, they're, like, you don't expect anything out of them, but they're really good. They just excel at everything, okay? And they're kind of, they're under the radar. They're making 4.0s. They're going to be rich, and you just say they're always surprising you. So everyone has these six kind of people. Right-hand man, stable person, crazy guy, no-show guy, funny guy, sneaky guy. So without question. Um, the reason you have these people in your crew, uh, it, it, you know, maybe you joined a uh, fraternity or sorority, uh, maybe you were on the same hall, and so this is your, sort of like the people you encountered, and you sort of got in this crew, and you started to identify your people as the crazy guy, Mr. No-Show, right-hand man, and you start, to, you start to categorize people based on what they do. Some of you, just, like, you people are so genuine and kind and have such integrity that you've got to know them. Their personality is such, it's such a great thing that you, they're likable, they're helpful, they're awesome, and so you can, you can go around the room and talk about awesome guys, awesome girls. And, and these are like awesome people in your crew. They could be any of those kind of people. And so over the last seven weeks, we've kind of seen, you know, what if Jesus were in our crew? This would be a person we want to know. He is amazing, okay? We've seen a glimpse of the personality of Jesus and the glory of God in the Father. See, the Christian God is knowable in a way that no other God is because he brings the God behind the curtain right before our eyes and his personality right before us. Look at the, some of the things that he said to us that really give us a glimpse into God's heart. First, uh, look at the first, just a recap here for those of you, this is maybe your first time, uh, maybe you've missed a few RES. We're going to go flying through what he said before we get to what we, we're here today. The first thing he said when he was crucified, nails driven through his hands, put up on the cross, crown of, crown, uh, crown of thorns, etc., been scourged. Um, he's naked, and there are people, soldiers, gambling for his garments. And his first words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a heart of mercy. That's what God is like. You look at Jesus, and that's what God is like. 
mercy for his enemies, people who have betrayed him and, and, and have abused him. Father, forgive him. Um, today you'll be with me in paradise, he says to a criminal uh, who is crucified next to him, uh, who is a no good, scoundrel person. Today you'll be with me in paradise. To someone who is no good, has no goodness in him, no righteousness in him, but he turns toward Jesus at the end and cries out for mercy. Jesus offers mercy and he says, you'll be with me. I want you with, with me. Heaven would not be heaven without you being with me. Okay, I'm going to paradise and you're, I'm taking you with me. Uh, third thing he says, take care of my mother. Okay, he's, being, he, like, he's having a rough day. He's being crucified. He's worried about his mother. Okay, like that is the most, I want, I want, I want to be that kind of guy. <laughs> I want to be the guy who, who can think about my mother or father uh, when I'm having a tough day. To think about somebody besides myself. Uh, he's caring for his mother in the midst of being crucified and dying for the sins of the world. Uh, fourth, kind of the pinnacle of his suffering, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had become so helplessly lost and in hell and judgment that he was lost from his father at that, at that moment. He had been forsaken. He endured that, and he knew he was going to endure that. He wasn't like his life was taken from him. He went to the cross to lay it down for people like us, sinners like us, people who gamble for his garments, people who betray him, criminals. Those are the kind of people he goes after, and he goes to the depths of woe and hell to do it for us, to be forsaken for us. Um, only after working tirelessly for us, the fifth thing he says, is he says, I thirst. And like, so like, this is like, he is a real person. Jesus is a real person. He's not an alien. Superman never gets thirsty. Okay, like he is fine. Superman's fine. Um, aliens don't get thirsty like Jesus does. The cross would have been impressive for anybody, but this is a real human. Jesus has human body, soul, spirit like us. Um, he's tired and dehydrated. He's exhausted. He needs wine now. And so they bring him wine because he thirsted. He, he wasn't just whiny and worthless because of the fatigue and, and saying, ah, oh, you know, give me some wine and take this pain away. He waited until after he had gone to the depths of hell to say, I thirst. Fifth thing he said was, I thirst. The, the sixth thing he says is, it is finished. Uh, he, he, he was born to die. He, he came down from heaven. He, like, this is the worst the worst job move in the history of job moves. Uh, it's totally like, I mean, like he, I mean, he lowered himself from right hand almighty on the throne of God to manger, okay? Born, born amongst animals in a barn and, and then lowly uh, under the law in, in such a low estate. And then, he, and then he did all this to identify with us in every way possible yet without sin. To be tempted in every way possible yet without sin. And he finished that. And that finished in the, in the, in the great text is that, that it was done and it has ongoing eternal significance. Essentially, it's saying what he accomplished can never be undone. He cries out in victory. Uh, he won, he's a warrior. He, he won for us. And then finally, he goes to his end with his last cry, which is alluded to here. Uh, in verse 50, he cried out again. And, and in uh, Luke, it tells us what he said. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gave over his spirit to his heavenly father uh, with the faith that he'd had his whole life. He, le- he goes into the unknown, goes into death, laying his life on, in dependence on his father, and the father didn't let him down. He raised him up the third day after that, and he ascends him and he brings him up into heaven with him. And so he tenderly calls his God, Father, and says, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he, 
He trusts God, and that actually rescues each of us. In all of our paradoxes, in all of our foolish self-reliance, all of our outright rebellion against God, we can't even give over anything to God. Jesus gives his own soul over to the Father, and in so doing, he gives all the people he's united to um, their souls um, as a representative, as a substitute for us to bring us to salvation. We go with him where he goes if we have faith in him. So if you're here and hearing about this for the first time, that's Jesus. That's what God's like. And if you have never had any further instruction to him than just reviewing in those, in those few moments there the words of the cross, that's what God's like. That's all you need to know, really. That's him. He is de- the depth of his personality, the depth of his mercy, grace, love, and kindness, and strength is unimaginable. You cannot get a person like that. He's somebody I want to know. He's somebody that's intriguing. I want you to be committed to bringing him in, to studying him, to singing about him, to worshiping him. But he's not just amazing in his personality. He's one of these people that gets things done, okay? And so uh, I, kind of two people I like to know is people that just have awesome personalities, and secondly, people who are doing stuff that is really cool. Um, I'm fascinated with many of you guys. Many of y'all are way talent, more talented than me. Um, I, I, y'all have so many things going on for you, and I'm cool with that. But I get to spend time with you guys. But I'd really love to spend some time with, you know, um, Kevin Durant sometime. I mean, he's got a lot of downtime. You know, he's hurt his foot. So maybe I can go hang out with him, and, and he could teach me a few things about basketball while he's, you know, rehabbing. So that would be cool. Derek Jeter's got some free time. I mean, like, he's just retired. He could come out and hang, hang out with me in Oklahoma. Um, he's accomplished a lot as a Yankee. So, um a lot going on there. Maybe some Apple guys could take a few break, you know, break and just come out and talk to me. Um, David Bourne, it'd be good to meet him. I saw him one time in my four years here, uh, like actually where I, he spoke to me. I sat with John Baber in, the, uh, in one of those places in the union, and he's like, hey, how are y'all doing? Uh, it's, uh, yeah. How's this place for you? And I'm like, it's good, thanks. Okay, and then he's out. That's it. Peace out. So he was gone. So that was my running with David Bourne. But I'd love to like, pick his brain, get to know him a little bit. That'd be awesome. So um, because these guys get things done. So what, what is it that Jesus got done with the tearing of the veil? Okay, what was it? Uh, the big idea here is when we put our faith in Jesus' work on the cross, particularly um, oh, what he did with, with the death here is, is he's going to put to death religion and our limited access to God. So first, the end of religion. Okay, this is not the end of relating to God. That's not what I mean by religion. Okay, you talk about religion. What do we mean by that? When many of us think of religion... Here's what we think of, is that God is distant from us, therefore we've got to get a checklist done in order to sort of approach him, okay? So there's all these things we must do. We've got to clean up our mouth, okay? We've got to clean up our, our cussing. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to, you know, be pure. Uh, we've got to make commitments to purity. Uh, we need to be, um, all, we got, you know, we can't get drunk too much. Um, and so we have all these sort of, um, sort of mountaintop experiences with God, and then we go to camp, and, you know, camp all summer, and we get back, and you know, rush happens or, you know, um, homecoming happens and we get, we get down a little bit on ourselves because we haven't fulfilled the checklist. Um, you know, so every human being believes that in our heart. The way we work, the way we perform is our religion and it, and it influences what God thinks about us. So we all believe God exists. Everyone believes God exists, even people who say they don't believe it. Everyone believes God exists, Right? But the problem is that God's distant. We can't know him, or, or uh, the only way to approach him is by living a moral checklist. 
Well, most world religions have, a, have sort of either fabricated or been handed down uh, a similar moral checklist. Okay, almost every religion sort of has the same kind of moral codes. Uh, you do good, you approach God, you get blessings. You do bad, you flee from God, and get curses. That's sort of the idea. That's really the idea of Christianity too, actually. Um, you do good, you get rewarded. You do bad, you get you know, bad. But there's a cheat code in this game, okay? There's, there's got to be a cheat code because most of us, if we really were to scrutinize ourselves enough, we haven't lived up to the standard well enough. And we know that. The game's rigged against us. We've got to have a cheat code. It's like Contra, if you ever played the old NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, Contra. The only way to beat this game, it's so impossible, the only way to beat it is like, up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, uh, A, B, select, start. Okay, that's the only way to beat it because once you put that in, you get 99 lives, you can actually like just die 69 times and you can beat the game because you cannot beat the game with just the three lives they give you. It's rigged. You've got to have infinite lives. Um, religion is like an impossible video game. You have to find the cheat. So for centuries, the cheat was this. Uh, I said, you, you can't do enough. I do so much bad, so I've got, I can't approach God, so therefore, um, we've got to find a way. So what we, what we have, sort of picturing the cheat, is a temple situation or a tabernacle where there's, there's these curtains. And so the way it would look is there'd be, uh, in the temple or the tabernacle, would be on the outside, there'd be the, the kind of the ordinary area, the outer area, and then you, as you move to the center, there'd be the holy place. There'd be a curtain separating the ordinary place from the holy place. And, and you couldn't really go into the holy place, but then uh, the, you know, or you'd have to purify yourself to get there. But then there's another curtain, the holy of holies, the holiest place. And there's a veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And so only, as you've heard, I mean, you maybe heard this before, but some of you haven't. In Leviticus 16, 1 through 30, and Exodus 26 through 31, it describes how the high priest would go into that area the innermost part of the temple or tabernacle, one time a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on a box, okay? There's a box called the Ark of the Covenant, and it would have a mercy seat on top of it, and it had cherubim, these angelic beings on each side, shielding its, their faces because this is the holiest place in the world or the picture of the holiest place. And so right there on the box, the high priest would enter one time a year, sprinkle blood on it, so you had this box with blood stains on it. <laughs> that's the cheat code. Uh, every, you, had to, you had to bring in a sacrifice, give it to the priest, high priest would take it in there, dribble the blood on there, and that would, God would pass over your sins for the year, okay? And then every year you'd come back and do that again. Um, that was the priest's job, okay? Now, that's limited, that's, that's you know, religion. And it's also limited access. You know, not just anybody can walk in there. God might strike you down. Okay, so, so the end of both religion and the limited access was Jesus. Jesus actually became the veil. Okay, Hebrews uh, 10, 19-20 likens Jesus' body as the veil. His body was broken, and as his body is broken and killed, the veil is broken and killed. And so that, like, that, as immediately when he dies, the first thing that happens is the veil is torn, sort of magically, from top to bottom, God's hand tears this veil, and, and all of God is now open to 
the average idiot, everyday idiot redneck guy like me. Okay, that, that's like, I don't have to be a high priest to get in anymore because my high priest, Jesus, went in and made atonement for me. He sprinkled the blood for me. And so my limited access problem is not a problem for me anymore. Okay, now when I, when I feel sort of limited access, um, I have a tendency to want to maybe do something that made me feel good. Okay, like so... They're like, oh, well, wear these uh, shirts with the whale on them, right? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? The whale. Okay, like, those are highly expensive. Okay, like, extremely expensive. But if you, I mean, you get a logo on a, on a shirt, it makes you feel good because you're kind of like an insider. Okay. Uh, you know, $200 for a sweater, no problem. I feel good because I got it. So, um, you know, due to our sin, we all kind of feel like outsiders. And so we are longing to feel less alienation. Uh, and we're rebelling against true fellowship on one hand. We don't want people to kind of know us, but we want to sort of outwardly be known. So one way to sort of identify and get deeper with people is through the externals, okay, that we can, you know, what we drive, what we wear, those sort of things. So when we're going shopping, we feel like we can kind of solve our problems, feel like somebody belongs. We carry our stuff around and look exclusive. Uh, we're you bringing the right purse or the approved pants or the, sh- or the shoes. Now, every girl on a rainy day has to have the rubber boots, right? Okay, y'all have these. If you don't, get them, okay? Because that's what you have to do, okay? Uh, every guy needs boat shoes. You just got to have these sort of things to, to cope with the rainy days. Even if it's not going to rain, for, I mean, even though there's a 10% chance of rain sometimes, you got to do this because uh, you got to be ready, okay? So, but yeah, I get it though. Sidewalks at campuses are pretty terrible. So, yeah, you got, you're going to have a lot of puddles. So, yeah, puddle, puddle stompers, good. All right, so we get... We got this longing in us to be an insider. We want to get in the inner circle. C.S. Lewis, if you know him, he's talked about this extensively. Uh, read him. We're, uh, by the way, uh, plug, Emily Shupak is working on our book table. We're ordering books. We're going to have a, a great book table for you to, to uh, peruse next week at RUF. It's going to be awesome. Bring your friends. I know, book table. woohoo! But we're going to have really good things on the book table to read. Uh, and I, I recommend take 10 minutes a day and read something. Uh, that's not you thinking. Uh, it, it'll give you sanity. And help you think. So, um, and it's not for class. So, um, you know, that's why we long to be known, sort of known that way. We want intimacy. We want to be insiders. Um, every, you know, sexual relationship we enter into has the potential to sort of make us feel significant, like an insider, sharing your secrets, yours and another person's body, and, and unique pleasure. And that is an addictive feeling, okay? It is absolutely addictive to feel um, like an insider, it scratches an itch within our soul, y'all. That's why we crave. That's why we're obsessed with sex. That's why we're obsessed with clothes and what we wear and what we have, our possessions. Our possessions sort of possess us, if you will, because we have to have them. And so when we have to have them, they own us. Because, and it's really because of a veil <laughs> sort of over our heart. We, don't really, we haven't let God into that veil or through that veil, and we don't know how to get through there. Uh, and so we think it's through religion, but religion doesn't work. Uh, and so we've got to, we, religion has to be killed, and the limited access problem has to be killed, and so we've got to go to the gospel and see that it really was killed, uh, that the, the veil really was torn in two through Jesus' body dying in our place. And that is what ought to scratch the itch in our soul. Um, the reason, if you're, if you're a Christian today, the reason you were intimately connected to Jesus there, uh, the reason that you're connected to him now is that you were connected to him then. Okay, and so he brought you through the veil to the Father, 
And then the Holy Spirit uh, applied that work to you. Um, you know, so uh, that's what, he sort of published that, if you will, to, to you. So now you believe because Jesus, you're already with Jesus back then 2,000 years ago. And through his Spirit today, you can speak directly with God. Uh, when you have his word, uh, when, you, when you read it, you discuss it with your friends. And, and it's, it's heard by you. You can truly hear the voice of God, the God Almighty. It's a remarkable thing. Not everybody can do that. Uh, your heart has to be sort of born again, as, as, as Jesus says, in order for that to happen. And so, but if it is, the veil is open to you. And the way to hear God is through his word. Uh, it's through fellowship where people are speaking his word, the gospel. That's how we, we, have access, we have no limited access to God. We have unlimited access to God. We can pray to him. We can tell him what we feel. And he hears that. And he works, as we've heard earlier. He works. God is no longer behind police tape. He's no longer behind locked doors. Um, he, only for the insiders have the right credentials, the right outfit. Um, he, you, you, you may have lived a holy life or not a holy life. You've checked all the right boxes or you've screwed up the list. You've lost the list. Um, no, the door to God is wide open to anybody on the spectrum of righteousness or unrighteousness, okay? No one is blocked by this, though we all should be blocked, okay? None of us have been righteous enough. And, and so we have looked for God in all the wrong places because the access seems to be limited, but it's not. And so when we start to realize that God has opened it up, then there's joy, that I've come. And so faith in Jesus' death, tearing the veil, actually brings us unspeakable joy. That brings life to us when we know our Father. Uh, just let me cl- kind of close with this uh, tonight. We're running out of time here, but Jack Hoffman. Jack Hoffman, you know that name? Probably don't, okay? But you might have seen the video. 2013 um, was when this video came out on YouTube, but the, the story goes back to 2011. Jack Hoffman had brain cancer. He was seven years old, okay? Uh, he was in Nebraska. His father was uh, a professor there at the University of Nebraska. He had a golf-sized brain tumor. Um, Jack um, Hoffman, seven years old, had um, struck up a friendship with, the, with his favorite player on Nebraska. Rex Burkhead was the guy. And so they, they had been, you know, kind of corresponding for two, almost two years. And the spring game in April of 2013 was coming up. And Jack had already had one surgery. He was due for another one not too long after that. And so um, Rex contacted uh, Bo Pelini, uh, the coach of Nebraska, and said, hey, uh, could we get this kid in the game? Could he come? He's a seven-year-old. He's a great kid. Could we bring him into the game uh, tomorrow, which is, I was asking him the day before the spring game. It's a Friday night, I'm sure. Um, so he, Bo Pelini said, of course. And so fourth quarter of the spring game, Fourth and one at the uh, 31-yard line going that way. So they've got 69 yards to go. Uh, fourth and one. They call a timeout. They bring Jack Hoffman, seven-year-old, in full Nebraska uniform out on the field in the huddle. They line up, and they run a play. And uh, Martinez, Taylor Martinez is the quarterback. He, he, he's in the shotgun. Jack's here on his left. He takes a snap. The players start firing off and, like, hitting each other and stuff. And then Jack doesn't know what to do, so Martinez puts the ball in his, in his stomach, hands it off to him, and kind of, you know, he's kind of bewildered. So he says, go this way, come on. So he kind of follows him, and he, takes, and he takes the ball and starts running behind the quarterback all around the right side. And so he takes it, and he runs, and then, like, he starts to see that there are, you know, you know 
big like Charles Tappers and Eric Strikers and these kind of guys coming at him, okay? And so he starts to kind of like, he doesn't know what to do at first, but he's, he starts to run. He starts to sprint. And he's running as fast as his little legs can take him. And so he outruns everybody and everyone's following him down there, all the defense, offense, et cetera. Uh, all, the, all the people on the sidelines are running after him. And so he's leading the charge of all the Nebraska football players and he scores a 69-yard touchdown in a real game, mind you. This is the spring game. Okay, everyone follows him to the end zone, picks him up, and puts him on his shoulders. And you can see, I mean, through the big face mask, his little face smiling. And this is the most beautiful, beautiful YouTube video. It has millions of views. How many of y'all seen it? Yeah, okay, many of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, go get your tissues, watch it. It's very good. Okay, so it, I say that story to tell you everybody knows here in this boy's life, the end zone was sort of off limits to him. It's absolutely off limits to him. Uh, Seven-year-olds with brain cancer don't run for touchdowns. It doesn't happen. Now, he had an advocate, brought him in, uh, and then he, and he's on the field. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, they, they lead him along the way. And then when he's sort of confused and bewildered and doesn't know how to do this, he's not a, he's not a running back. He's not, he, his favorite player's running back, but he's not one. But as soon as he gets going, he starts to do what instinctually ought to be done. He starts running. Okay, he starts to go. They've opened the path to the end zone. They've blocked for him. There are people trying to get him, but they're blocking for him, and he runs. He takes the ball and runs. And that's what we get when we, when we start to understand that Jesus actually has opened the veil. It is cut down from the top to the bottom, and it is open for us. And when we, when that, that is weird for us that we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. We don't have to like, measure it to some standard or, or some religion or anything like that. But once we get that, once we actually understand grace, that God's favor and forgiveness rests upon us due to Jesus and not our own, then we start to see joy, and we start to learn to run the way we're always meant to run. We're always meant to be in the, in the communion and fellowship with God, deeply with him. And when we start to feel it, we run. The veil is down. The fence is down. The end zone is wide open. And when you're, on, when you're in a game like that, in a sporting event, and like the end zone's there, and you kind of know it, you sort of just, you just instinctually run towards it. And that's, the kinda, that's what God made us to be like, to run towards him. He's opened the way to him. Through Christ only. The burden of having to be qualified is no more. Everything that makes our heart feel heavy, like we're going to be judged and meet a standard, that we're an outsider that's not safe anymore, that's no more. Because the gospel is that in Jesus' death, religion and no access is no more. Death is no more. My death and my own sin is no more. My death and my, and my you know, being outside of the temple is no more. I'm brought in. The curtain's off, and, and it's for you through Jesus. And so God's heart is right there exposed for you. He loved you enough to open up the curtain and, and show you what he's like. He showed you Jesus in his face. You see God, and he's saying, run towards me. Okay, it's a beautiful invitation for y'all. It's a beautiful, and so this is the beauty of, of you being here on campus too, is that you have this beautiful time to be able to share Jesus. You don't have to have like a PhD in Bible to do this. Just tell people how, what joy you found in knowing the Father through the Son. The seven things Jesus says are amazing about who God is. Uh, go back and look at the ends of the gospel and apply those to your heart. Internalize those things. Those are for you. I was an enemy brought close. I was in any of salvation and God brought me. And he opens up the veil. They're tearing it down the middle for me. And, and go with confidence in that. And people are actually going to buy into that just like you did. Because it is a beautiful, wonderful Good story. It's good news. Let me close with, with a verse from the scriptures from Hebrews uh, 4, which actually um, speaks to this matter. 
let the, let the, the Word of God have the last word tonight, and I'll have, we'll have a couple more songs and we'll go. But uh, hear this. Hebrews 4, 14, if you're a note-taking person, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, read, hear this and read, look it up later. Since then, we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He is our great high priest. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Oh, and there are plenty. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Jesus, the word of God is good to us uh, in helping uh, making us see the openness that you've brought to us through your blood. Uh, would you help us to run towards you, towards the Father? And uh, we will give you glory in Christ. I'm going to pray. Amen.